As Amber said, last week we started a three-week series um, unpacking the vision and the mission of the church and looking at our three values which we have painted on the wall and they're now on the screen. And I spoke of how vision and mission are important. And I described them and unpacked them with you as vision and mission being positional and progressive. It's a very rare thing that God gives us the complete picture. And um, it's a journey. And I used the picture of, of it being like a large picture frame with a kingdom masterpiece that's being painted as we go. The picture frame is essentially the directive that God gives us. That's, this, is, this, is the, the, this is the shape, this is the dimension, and this is what's going to hold what I'm giving you together. And then we get to paint the completed picture. And how do we do that? Because God gifts by the Holy Spirit, every one of us, different gifts. And I, I look around this auditorium this morning, and uh, I, I just see this incredibly wonderful, diverse collective of genius, gift, and ability. I'm standing in the presence of wonder. That's you. That's you. Some, you know, some of you actually don't believe that this morning. Some of you just sit there going, I wonder. <laughs> I want to tell you this morning, you are a wonder. You are the workmanship of God in Christ Jesus. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. What does that mean? That you're a one-of-a-kind, handcrafted, never-to-be-repeated masterpiece. Why are you here? He made you because he wanted you. I also used uh, Psalm 29, verse 18 from the Message Translation. It says this, If people can't see what God is doing, they stumble all over themselves. But when they attend to what he reveals, they are most blessed. I tell you what, this is a word for us today. Like I said, it's not usual that we know the whole picture. It's, we have the general direction. We give the direction and the directive that God gives us. But the end point, that's honestly, you know what? The end point doesn't actually arrive until Jesus does. One of my favorite scriptures in the, in the Bible is it says, He who began a good work in, in you is faithful to complete it. I feel like going dot, dot, dot. And then it says, until the day of the Lord. That's until Jesus returns. I, I think I have no idea when Jesus is returning. So I try to live each day as if he's coming today. But I plan as if he's not. There's still work to do. There's still people that need to know Jesus. There's still people's lives that need to be put together by the life and the hope and purpose of God. And this is why we, we must attend to what he reveals. We've got to listen to him, people. We've got to listen to him. As we walk by faith and not by sight, that's 2 Corinthians 5 verse 7, seeking God through prayer and his word, we find his voice calling us by name. And he leads us into him and into his plan for us and his will for our lives. Last week, I asked you this, what is our responsibility you know what? Our responsibility is our ability to respond. And the only ability that God needs is our availability. You may, you may think you might have a fraction of a gift somewhere, buried somewhere, yet to be discovered. It's all good. It's all good. God knows where that is and he knows what it is because he put it in you. We just need to make ourselves available and he will pull it out. He will, he will pull it out. He knows it's there. Why do I know that he knows it's there? Because the Bible says he put it there. So, last week I said, so I, I kind of, I asked a question of myself on your behalf. Was that okay? <laughs> what is my vision for this church? 
And to answer that question last week, we unpacked the first value, which was life. I believe this is a church of life. Just a real super quick bit of revision. Here it is here. Every person is given life from God. We will value life from conception to the grave. We will operate in a manner that encourages and enhances life to see people given the opportunity to live life as Christ intended. And that is life and that more abundantly. I, I see a church. I see this church where there is no generation missed, where there is life from the teething baby to the almost graduate. Because you know what? In truth, life doesn't stop when we graduate to heaven. It doesn't. It continues. I see a church, I have a vision of a church where it is recognized and taught that God has a purpose for every person from the, their conception to their glorious promotion into heaven. Why do I know that? Because the Bible says we are fearfully, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. It says that he saw you being knitted together in your mother's womb. Do you think he just went, oh, that's what you look like. Oh, maybe you could do this. No, no, not at all. He's got all the bits and he's put all the ingredients and the gifts and the calling right at the beginning. And the rest of our journey is stepping in, in faith, into what he's made you to be and called you to be so you can have life in that more abundantly. That's what I see in this church. So today, part two, as you have been told, hope. Our hope is in Jesus Christ. In all things we will serve lead and influence based on that hope. Come on, let's just, let's just make this a, 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 a bit of a, a God moment, a holy moment eh? before we go anywhere. Let's pray. Father, Lord, I thank you that your word is alive and active. I thank you that the scriptures teach us it's sharper than any two-edged sword, sharp enough to divide between soul and spirit, between thought and intent, between bone and marrow. It is surgically sharp. And so this morning, Lord, I've, I've got my notes prepared. So that's the natural. I want you, Holy Spirit, to bring your anointing to make it supernatural. Not for my sake, but for the hearts and the ears of the hearers. Well, yeah, for me too, Lord, but plant this word in all of our hearts. Plant this hope that is you in all of our hearts today. So it will transform us. It will renew our minds and show us, Lord God, maybe the next position, the next progression of where you're taking us in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is my third time in this church. Uh, as many of you know, before Suzanne and I started leading the church, I served for 20 years in the military. So I did, this is, I did three postings at Woodburn. And the third one, I, I stayed. And um, so been here three times, 35 years this time, I can genuinely say that both Suzanne and I are older than the carpet. <laughs> Cheers. It's all right, honey, you're still beautiful. <laughs> and as, for as long as I've been in this church, this word hope, I have experienced it, I have felt it, I have lived in it, I have been made whole by it. And it thrives and lives today 
So it's very easy for me to carry a vision of hope, a vision of a church where all people can come to Elam. And we're just like the actual oasis. Go on Google Earth. Elam still exists. The oasis of Elam still exists. It's interesting that the oasis of Elam is actually in the Valley of Sin. Bit of a play on words, but that's actually the name of the valley. (laughs) An oasis surrounded by dry, barren, moving sand dunes and gravel. But that place was, it had 12 springs and 70 date palms. Elam was a, a, a place of refreshing, a place of nourishment and healing and relationship and connection. And I have a vision where people will come and they'll be welcomed as family. And you know what? Just like in any family, we also recognize that all are welcome, but not all behaviors fit within that family. Mums and dads, I think you know what I'm talking about. And so what do we do about that as a center of hope, a church filled with hope? You know, we recognize that all of us are on a journey. And so with grace and love, based on the word of God, we teach and we guide and we get alongside people and we help them build their lives according to Father's guidelines, to God's guidelines from the word of God. So let's get a little bit practical. How will we do that? Well, in Isaiah chapter 61, a very famous chapter in the the Old Testament, Isaiah 61, verse 1, says these lines, these words, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me too. Let's jump forward and have a look at verse 3. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me too, to console those who mourn in Zion, to give them beauty for ashes, the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, that they may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord, that he may be glorified. So let's break this down. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you, upon me, upon us, to console those who mourn in Zion. You know what? Mourning is real. And you know what? Mourning is healthy when done in a place of safety and care. This is a church that is safe. This, this church is a safe place of support in all and every phase of life. The Spirit of the Lord is upon this place to give them beauty for ashes. You know, people in the Bible times, it's, a, it's an unusual behavior. It's an unusual custom. And I, I, I understand that it's actually still active in, in some cultures now. But they would, take, they would take ashes from the fire pit and they would throw ashes over themselves and they would rub it in their hair when there was sadness or grief or repentance or tragedy. And it was like the ash represents something that was alive and burning, but now it's burnt out and cold and dark and horrid. And they rub it in their hair and they throw it over themselves because of tragedy or because of repentance and it was an outward, outward sign of what was going on inside. The Spirit of the Lord is upon this place to give beauty for ashes. This church is a place where people can find hope and comfort, support, encouragement for and from each other. The Spirit of the Lord is upon this place to pour the oil of joy, to give the oil of joy for mourning. You know, with ash in their hair and ash on their face, They took on that real sort of ghost-like appearance, smeared and dirty. But the scriptures say in Psalm 23, he anoints my head with oil. And now this was, there were two purposes for the oil. 
the anointing oil was it was beautiful and it was fragrant and it was like the the fragrance and the, the elements of the oil would cover the wearer it would cover them it would cloak them in, in this beautiful fragrance in psalm 23 when it talks about the sheep and he anoints my head with oil the shepherd would pour oil on the head of the sheep and down the back of the sheep why because the oil would get rid of all the ticks and bugs Anyone got any ticks or bugs in their life? (laughs) The oil of joy for mourning. This church is a place of the ultimate anointing oil. And he is the Holy Spirit. This comes from God himself. And you know what? As a church, we're going to pursue the Holy Spirit anointing in all that we do. You know, if we don't, if we, if we as a church don't have the living, vibrant, presence of the Holy Spirit, the living, vibrant power of God and His Word in this place, you know what we are? We're just a weird bunch of people that get up on early on a Sunday and sing songs. But what is the difference is the power of God. What is the difference is the Holy Spirit. It's the anointing oil from the throne of heaven. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon this place to bring a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. In the Bible, scratchy, horrible burlap sacking, like Hessian sacking, would be worn as a cloak or as, as, a, as clothes of mourning and sadness and repentance. And everyone who saw that would know something tragic had or was happening. You combine the sacking cloth with the ashes, and that's a horrid picture But this place, I mean, we've just been in it. Thank you, worship team. This place is a place of authentic praise and celebration. And whilst we know and we support and we comfort those who are in mourning or in difficulty, we will help clothe them who are weighed down through genuine praise and worship. We will be, as described in Exodus chapter 17 of Moses, we will be those who lift up the hands that hang down. You know the story where Moses has got the staff and Joshua's down in the valley fighting against the Amalekites and his hands would get tired and the staff would drop and the Amalekites would start to win. Then he'd he'd rally himself and he'd lift his hands and Joshua and the children of Israel would begin to win and, and the battle would sway and go left and right and left and right and sometimes they would win and sometimes they would lose and sometimes they would win and sometimes they would lose. Does that sound familiar to anyone? And then two men got alongside Moses and they went, this guy needs some help. They pulled a rock over and they said, you sit down, we'll hold your arms up. And they held his arms up and they stayed up and the Israelites won. What a victory. This is a church that does that. That's the vision I have. We will lift up the hands that hang down. We will give a garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness. The Spirit of the Lord is on this place that we may be called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. The Bible, oh man, the Bible, like the Bible should actually have a place of prominence in the Louvre Museum, Art Museum. It is a one book of 66 books that has more paintings and words than any piece of art ever in the world. It's so full of symbology and rich pictures and everything. And in the Bible, one of the, one of the aspects of symbology when it's the trees of righteousness is actually speaking about you. You are a tree of righteousness, made so by Jesus. 
And it talks about that being called trees of righteousness, the planting of the Lord. What does that look like? Well, the Bible also says that we would be like trees planted by living water with roots that go, would, would go really, really deep. And our leaves and our fruit would not suffer or turn brown or frail and broken and everything because our roots are deep, planted into the living water of God. An interesting thing in the NIV translation of the Bible, it doesn't say trees of righteousness, it says oaks of righteousness, and the word oak equals Elam. It's one of the meanings of the name oak, Elam. I kind of get a little excited by that. I'm in the right place. So are you. This church is a place where you can be planted and grow, discovering your gifts and calling and being healthy and fruitful. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is upon this place that He might be glorified. That's our purpose, and that's next week. <laughs> We're going to unpack that next week. All right, so let's dig a little deeper into this hope thing. You know, there's a whole movement. In actual fact, you had a guest speaker, young people, and the school, you had a guest speaker a number of weeks ago um, by the name of Ronnie Moore. He is on the executive for I Am Hope New Zealand, and uh, we're getting him back in November, and he's going to speak here on Sunday. Um, your hope is that hope's a real thing. And the world is pursuing it with everything they have. However, comma, the contemporary thought, the idea of hope is often diluted to the false promise that you can live a trouble-free life, exempt from hardship and crises. Does that sound real? <laughs> it's, a, it's kind of... Tinkerbell glasses and unicorns, really, isn't it? A trouble-free life, free of hardship and crises and pina coladas and forever sunsets. And No, no, life doesn't do that. Generations before us testify and declare that no, no, history, history, history says that no. And I'm pretty sure future kind of already has that lined up. James chapter 1, verse 2 and 4 says this, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles of any kind come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow. For when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing nothing. You know what the generations that have preceded us have learned? That trials and challenges forged greatness. The famous quote from Henry Ford, if I asked people what they really wanted, they would have said a faster horse. Okay, and every petrol head understood what I said. Everybody else was like, huh? <laughs> Who's Henry Ford? <laughs> and all the Ford lovers know exactly what I'm talking about, yeah? Yeah, there we go, there we go. Just holding on. Yeah, just holding on. <laughs> Stop it. <laughs> we, we won't go there. I'll get too distracted. Here's a crazy thought. Here's a crazy thought. Hardship and hope together can do something for us that a problem-free life cannot. Hardship and hope together can do something for us that a problem-free life cannot. Cannot. Psalm 119 verse 71 says this, My suffering was good for me, 
for it taught me to pay attention to your decrees. I, I, can I caution you this morning? Here's the caution. Be careful when you pray prayers like this. God, I just want to see you move more. <laughs> and you'll go, let's go to work. <laughs> you know, God, I need patience. Give it to me now. And he'll go, Will I give you patience or will I give you an opportunity to grow in patience? God, I just, I want to be able to love my brothers and sisters so much. Great, God goes. (laughs) Then he brings on brother number two (laughs) and three and four anyway. You know, the author, the famous author J.R.R. Tolkien, famous for The Hobbit and Lord of the Rings and many other books, he created a word to describe what he saw as the central story of life, and that word was eucatastrophe. It is a compound word of the word catastrophe with the Greek prefix eu, E-U meaning good. A good catastrophe. Can such a thing be? A good catastrophe. After all, aren't good and catastrophe on polar opposite ends of the experience continuum? Maybe so. It's like two arch nemeses going, let's work together. Here's the thing. A you catastrophe, a good catastrophe, in one hand can wrap its fingers and hand, it can wrap its hand around pain, and on the other hand it can wrap its hand around hope and bring the two together. And that is the wonder. That is the wonder. Hope has a cooperative relationship with hardship. The whole idea of hope is when life hits its lowest point, then the special gift of hope emerges in its most potent form. Enabling us to lift our eyes once more to the source of hope himself, Jesus. So how do we we live with that hope? Or maybe I should ask this, how do we get that hope? Joshua chapter 24 verse 31 says this, The people of Israel served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him. Those who had personally experienced all that the Lord had done for Israel. A couple of key words there. Those who had personally experienced all the Lord had done for them. I believe this is a church where everyone can personally experience the hope of Jesus, which changes lives for good. How does that happen? Romans 8.28 says this, For we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose for them. I looked at some some people in the scriptures uh, who endured the most scandalous downfalls or the most devastating crises. And as I read, I discovered, guess what? Guess what, team? God specializes in hard times. God is a superhero in hard times. God is the most powerful and most strategic person we could have on our side when the odds are stacked against us. 
Uh, in, my, in my Bible reading this week, I've been reading through the book of Daniel, and um, it's really interesting because, I mean, I've read it numerous times, but just reading it again this week, you know, Daniel is just praying because he's, he's recognized the prophetic word that the children of Israel will be in exile for 70 years, and he's done the maths, and it's like, man, we can't be far off it. We can't be far off that, and he goes to prayer. He, he he really gets into prayer and he's repenting on behalf of his own himself, his own family, his, his tribe, his nation. And he's asking God what happens. And 21 days later, Gabriel, the archangel Gabriel shows up. And he said, from the moment you began praying, I was sent. But the prince power of Persia didn't like that. And so for 21 days, he fought against the prince demonic power over Persia until Michael, the other archangel, came along and gave him a hand. He took over the battle. Gabriel came and delivered the vision, and then Gabriel went back and gave Michael a hand, and they douched him over. <laughs> That's the Tom vision. <laughs> but God specializes in those tough times. Here, 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 here's a list. How's this? How about Adam and Eve hiding in shame in the garden? Did God turn his back on them? Moses in the Hebrew, Hebrews in the desert for 40 years. Gideon leading a woefully outnumbered and woefully outmatched army. God says, hmm, I think you've got one or two too many, Gideon. Get rid of a few. And he's like, you serious? <laughs> yep, okay. How about this? David facing the truth of what he had done with Bathsheba. Could he come back from that? Yes, he did. By the grace of God. How about Jonah in the belly of a fish for three days? I'm not surprised Nineveh converted and gave their hearts to the Lord when they saw that walking up the beach. <laughs> Daniel in the lion's den. Paul shipwrecked three times. And ultimate, the ultimate of difficult situations, Jesus hanging on the cross. The biblical stories of hope, in all of them, God showed up. When the situation was hopeless, hope showed up. Time and again, I see examples of God at work. And when I read the word, and this is what I cannot tell you enough, to make sure you Read the word and, and don't just get into the word, but let the word get into you. Time and again, when I read the Bible, I see these either scandalous situations which would potentially have someone ostracized. I see God come in and restore and make whole. Or situations where it's like, okay, Jesus, take me now because I am not getting out of this alive. Jesus steps in. And I read the word of God and you know what it does? It builds my faith. It builds my faith. And a simple thought, I've often used this, this example, maybe I'm just too agricultural in my faith. But here's the simple thought, if God did it for them, He can do it for me. And He can do it here. So you know what that does in me? I hope. And I just don't hope, but I hope big. 
I hope bold. I hope dangerously. I hope with an understanding that this hope, with a capital H, is more than a force. He's more than a medicine. He's more than an agent of change. He is a person, and his name is Jesus. You know what? Your brightest possibility, when you put your hand in the hand of Jesus, your brightest possibility is one step of faith past your darkest fear and your darkest day. You may have heard, the, you may have heard this um, scientific, astronomic, meteorologic fact that the darkest hour of the night is the hour before dawn. How many of you have, have, have experienced that you go out just as the sun rising, but the temperature drops? It's like, what? There's a big heater in the sky. Why am I cold? Well, that's a meteorological phenomena with the, the air beginning to rise because of the sun, and it pulls the cold off the ground, and that's why you feel a bit cold until the sun overtakes. So at, the, at that moment... Is that at that moment when you when you see hope beginning to arise, if it starts to get a bit colder, hang on. But you know, there's even a more exciting thing about this hope that I see for this church. And I base it on this following scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 to 5. All praise to the God and Father of our Master Jesus the Messiah. This is from the message translation. The Father of all mercy, God of all healing counsel. He comes alongside us when we go through hard times, and before you know it, he brings us alongside someone else who is going through hard times so that we can be there for that person just as God was there for us. That's why this place is a house of hope. Because what you've gone through isn't just so you can go, whoo. I made it. It's so that you can go, there's hope. When you see someone going through the same thing you've been through and you've got through it in faith with Jesus, it means you can grab the hand of the person who's going through it themselves and say, let's walk together, baby, because I know there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Why? Because he's standing there. You know what the light at the end of the tunnel is? It's Jesus himself. I know I'm getting excited because I'm starting to spit. <laughs> Whoops. <laughs> this describes the vision I have for this church. This hope doesn't stop with us. It's to go out. There's a prophetic word that's been spoken over this church many, many times throughout the years. And it is this, that this church will be a well-watered vine going over the wall. Scriptures teach us that we need to stay connected to the vine. The scripture, I've just said it, that we would be like trees of righteousness planted of the Lord. Our roots going deep into living water. You know what the living water is? It is the word of God. It is the anointing oil of the Holy Spirit. It is Jesus himself. And when our roots go deep into him and we cling to him and we stay connected to him, that means we can take the life, hope, and purpose of Jesus into your world. You can be an atmospheric change agent. You can be a light of hope because of the light of hope who's living in your heart. You can change the place where you live and work because of Jesus. Jesus. 